turn your Bibles, if you would, to Job 33. Job 33 is where we're at. Talking about losing, losing focus. Have you ever lost focus when you're talking to someone? Are you married to someone that loses focus when they're talking? Would anybody admit that? Right? Losing focus when you're talking. Uh, I often tell stories about my daughter. She would very much say, I lose focus. We're, we'll be sitting in the living room watching TV, and I'll start saying something, and I'll just uh, wander off and lose focus, and she gets so irritated and starts saying, hello, hello, and she just it just drives her nuts when I do that. But what about when you're taking a picture? You ever had a great picture? You know? Jackie just came back from a cruise to Alaska. So you get a great picture, you get it, you look at it, even, even if it's digital, and it's out of focus, frustrating. You know, just slightly out of focus can ruin a picture. But what about when you're suffering? When you're suffering, it's, it's, it's funny how suffering works. Because suffering can help you gain focus. Have you ever had that? Suffering can actually get you to focus on what's important. But if suffering goes on very long, especially if it's undeserved, especially if it's from, and you're getting unfair criticism, suffering can cause us to lose focus. And that's, that's what we want to talk about. Job has been sitting on the ash heap of despair for quite some time now. We don't really know how long. But would you agree any time is too long when you're suffering? I mean, how long, you know, is suffering appropriate? Well, it's too long if it's you. Job has probably been here for many, many months, just like kind of we have. Many, many months. Job has been sitting in despair long enough that he could sing David's song of despair in Psalm 13. I want you to turn to Psalm 13 simply because we read that this week. If you're uh, with us in the summer in the Psalms, as I read through the first 16 Psalms this week, I couldn't help but hear echoes of Job. Do you agree? I mean, these are songs, and this is David's song of despair, and I think it's a song that Job could have sung, and it's a short one, and I thought it's just worth worth reading, because this is when you lose focus. When this is your heart cry, this is when it's, you're in danger of losing focus. Notice what he says, how long? O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Can't you hear uh, Job's cry of despair echoed in David's song here? Then he says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. In other words, if you don't intervene, I'm going to die. And when I die, those who are opposing me will rejoice. But here's what I said about these psalms ending in a in a, in a, in a, in a a note of yieldedness, surrender, and hope. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There at the end, he's saying that before it actually even happens. Well, anyway, that was just a great psalm. And I just thought, wow, that's a song of despair. That's where Job's at. He's not yet at verses 5 and 6, but you can lose your focus. Now, how long has Job been sitting? 
in despair? Well, here's what my answer would be to that. Long enough to lose his focus. He's been there long enough. Often in the midst of undeserved adversity and unfair criticism, we tend to lose our focus and need someone to intervene. And that's exactly where we are in in the story of Job. He's been suffering long enough, he's lost his focus, and he needs someone to intervene. Not just anyone, but someone with some God-given wisdom. He was in desperate need for some wise intervention. Now, he hasn't been without people who have been intervening. Who's been intervening? Who's been trying to help him up to this point? Who's been trying to help Job? His three friends. But their intervention was not wise, it was foolish. And now a younger wise man. We talked about who is Elihu last week. He is a younger wise man. He's risking intervening even though he is much younger than the three, though perhaps he's only, well, he's actually probably 50 to 70 years old. So again, this is not a young fool. This is a younger, wise man, perhaps 50, 70. Now, why is it risky to intervene? You ever watch that show, Intervention? I mean, I really haven't, but I know it's there on cable. Intervention. It's risky to intervene for a couple reasons. First of all, the, he, he, well, for let me say for Elihu, the reason it's risky, he hasn't been asked. He's younger than the three, and he hasn't been asked, and it's not culturally appropriate to uh, stick your nose out there or stick your neck out there. He hasn't been asked, and he's going to speak in the presence of those who are older. Now, you got you got to picture this. These guys have spoken. They're older. They're, they're some of the wisest men in the region, in the, in the area, and they've failed. Now, this guy says, look, you failed, but, I, but I'm wise enough to succeed. Now, what's that got to do with you and I? Well, simply this, that intervention is always risky. Those who need it never ask for it. That's why it's called intervention. They're headed in a direction, and they don't want help. They need help. They're not going to ask for help. And so when you stick yourself out there, you're risking uh, going places where people haven't asked you. Those who give it sometimes have to speak to those who are older or in uh, greater authority than them. Sometimes you have to intervene as a son to a father, as a daughter to a mother, as, uh, as someone who is older than you. This is what Elihu was facing. Intervention is always risky, but here is what you need to remember. It can be rewarding. It can be rewarding because it can lead people to repentance. That's why you risk, because it's right, because it can be rewarding, and it can lead people to repentance. Now, i got a video here I want to show you of, uh, of an actual intervention. Now, some of you have already seen this, and uh, it's kind of shown... Anyway, I'll just, you, you just watch it. Hit that you left me and my siblings without a father. You left me looking over my shoulder at every black man that walks past me.
because I know somewhere deep down in my heart I still love you. in our society, that's shown like as a funny <laughs> tape. Actually, people kind of mock that uh, just because of how blatantly emotional that is. But as sad as that is that people would think that's funny, if, as I've watched that numerous times this week, man, there, there's, there, there's power in that, isn't there? That is boxer Rocky Lockridge. So this is a very strong man, a very powerful man and a very uh, successful man in his sphere of sports, and yet a, neglect, a neglectful father. And, and there's that intervention, that, that risk. You've got to risk, but, but ha- man, just touches. That's just like the primal, to me, it was just like the primal scream of someone that just hurts and is confronted with the hurt that he has caused. A man who had lost focus and who I hope and I believe from that response benefited from intervention. Well, slightly different situation here for Job and Elihu, but that's that's the risk and the reward of intervention. So in Job chapter 32, as you uh, turn there to Job chapter 32 through 37, we see the intervention by Elihu. And last week we saw that his intervention is divided up into two parts. And we looked at the first part last week, and that was the introduction of Elihu. And you can go back and listen to that online. Today, we want to begin to look at his instruction, his four speeches. But before we do, what I want to do in this lesson is, is to show why Elihu felt he needed to intervene. And the reason is because Job has lost his focus. Job has lost his focus due to undeserved suffering and due to the unfair criticism. And I want you to see that there's five ways that you and I can lose our focus. And I don't care where you are this morning, whether you're in suffering, coming out of suffering, going into suffering, or maybe you're in a time of prosperity and blessing. You can lose focus in in good times as well as bad times. And... The thing about losing focus and needing someone to intervene is you're out of focus and you don't know it. Okay? So what I want to help you with this morning is you evaluate and see if you are out of focus for whatever reason. I don't know what may be causing you to lose your focus. That's not my concern. And by the way, that wasn't Elihu's concern. He wasn't concerned with what, how Job got into this mess. He was concerned with how Job was responding and how he had lost focus. So this is going to set us up for what's coming in the four speeches. And what we're going to do next week 
is Father's Day. We're going to have breakfast down here from 9 to 9.30. That's open to the whole church from 9 to 9.30. So, Bill, we're going to have great breakfast, right? And so Bill's going to be down here and his helpers, and we're going to have a great breakfast from 9 to 9.30. And then we're going to spend Father's Day with Job. It's only fair. Mothers, you got to spend it with Job. We're going to spend it with Job. A great lesson. This is a, When we uh, studied Job 1 through 2, chapters 1 through 2, God gave me this lesson. How to raise kids with integrity in times of prosperity. Whether we realize it or not, we live in times of prosperity. And there's unique temptations to children and to parenting in times of prosperity to raise kids. And Job was able to raise kids with integrity in a time of prosperity such that he was the richest man on the planet. Okay, or at least in that region. So dads, moms, everybody, come and hear that. For next Sunday. But what I want to do today is focus on these five ways that we can lose fo- uh, that we can lose focus to see where maybe you've lost focus, to see where others may have lost focus and you can intervene for them like Lihu did for Job and then give you some next steps in wisely doing that. So let's look at it. Undeserved suffering can cause us to lose our focus. Now, we know we've lost focus like Job when, number one, we begin contending with the Lord. We begin contending. What's that mean? Well, it means like uh, uh, Lockridge there. It means boxing. It means taking God to court when we contend with Him. Hello? All right. We begin contending, taking uh, the Lord to, to court. Job, listen... Sometimes we look at the book of Job and we and and we we learn the lesson that it's all right. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. It's all right to take your concerns to the Lord. It's all right to cry out to the Lord. But listen, if you focus on that too much, if you focus on that too much, your crying out to the Lord becomes contending with the Lord, being in conflict with God. Very subtle. So don't come away with Job and, hey, I can let it all out and just cry out to God all I want and it'll be okay. Because if you keep doing that for too long, you lose focus. He lost his focus when he started to try to take God to court. And that began way back in chapter 9. In chapter 9, it's filled with legal language. Chapter He began making this a trial way back in chapter 9. And... He carried that through to the point in chapter 31, the last words, is he, Job basically says, God owes me an answer on my terms. And God should show up on my timing. You ever been demanding like that of the Lord? In suffering? In hard times? God must meet his demands for a trial to vindicate him. Initially, Job was real flexible. He says, look, I'll go on the offense or I'll be on the defense. You can be the prosecutor or I will bring the case to you. I don't care. But by the end, he was saying, look, God, you come before me and answer to me. You see, he began to lose focus. He began, he's basically, in Job chapter 1, Job ends by basically serving papers to the Lord. You've got a court gate, Lord. And if you don't show up, then you're not really God. And when you do show up, you're going to declare me right. That's a loss of focus. That's a loss of focus. 
He's tried to put God in the corner. He's tried to force him to come before him and declare that Job is in the right. And when he does that, Elihu cannot listen anymore. This man has lost his focus. I must intervene. Now, Job's lost his focus, but who can blame him? Right? But it's still a foolish thing to do. Who are we to demand that God must come before us on our terms? Who are we to think God has to give an account of us to us about our suffering or about anything in our life? All right? Well, who says Job has lost his focus by contending with the Lord? What I'm going to do with each of these five points, and this is really the main idea of what I want you to see. Each of these five points, we're going to see that the people who say he's lost his focus are always three. It's going to be Elihu, who intervenes. It's going to be God. And by the way, God's going to use the exact same words that Elihu uses. Now, you've got to step back from that and say, wow. You know why you need to say, wow? Because last week we talked about how so many commentators say this guy, Elihu's foolish, he's crazy, he, he's bad, he's, he's young, he's out of control. Guess what? You just said that about the Lord. Why? Because every time that Elihu addresses these five incidents, the Lord will use the exact same words when he confronts Elihu. And then the third person that always agrees with this ends up being Job at the end of the story. Job says, you're right, I've lost my focus. I was contending with the Lord and I shouldn't have done that. So let's look at this. So, And I have it, it's not that I don't want you to look in your Bibles, I want you to, but I mean, these are, we're going to be all over the place. So they're right there in your, in, your, in, your, in your notes, so you can look at them in your notes, compare it with your translation, with your verses. But here's who says Job's lost focus. First of all, Elihu says, why do you contend against him? That he, that he does not give an account of all his doings. Job, why do you call him to account? You act as though God must give an explanation for everything that he's doing. He doesn't have to. Well, who else says that? Look at the Lord. The Lord uses the exact same word in the Hebrew. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Whoa. Now, Job, at the end of the story, will agree. Here's how Job answers. By the, by the time he, he lost focus, by the time he gains focus, here's what he ends up saying. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? In other words, before, when I was out of focus... I thought you had to answer to me. Now that I'm in focus, uh, I, I just don't have anything to say. I'm, I'm really small, and you have gotten real big again. And that's the way it ought to be. Now, it's just a short step from contending with the Lord to condemning the Lord. See, once you get in an argument with God, it's very easy then to begin to blame God. And that's the next way we know that we have lost focus. We have lost focus when we begin condemning the Lord. So you go from contending with Him, arguing with Him, fighting with Him, to condemning Him. Now, basically, Job has allowed his circumstances and his critics to cause him to lose focus on God's 
absolute justice and righteousness. Here's what happens. Happens to me. It's happened to you. Think through this with me. You're in an unfair situation. Job was receiving undeserved suffering. You're in an unfair situation at home, in work, in your relationships. It doesn't matter. Here in church, unfair situation. And when you're in that unfair situation long enough and you know you're in the right, but no one around you will admit that or agree with you, and it seems God is not listening to you, what happens? You get so right, you become wrong. Have you ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? To where you're right, and no one seems to agree with you, so you start trying to convince everyone, including God, of how right you really are, and you are right, but in your convincing, you become wrong. And you begin to condemn and blame God. And we do the same thing. Now, who says Job has lost his focus by condemning the Lord? Well, first of all, Elihu. That's why he intervenes. Look at what he says in Job chapter 34. And by the way, these go in, in order of his speeches. These basically go and progress in his speeches. These are the points that Elihu is going to be making. Look at what he says in 34.17. Shall one who hates justice rule? Will you condemn the righteous mighty one? What he's saying is, look, Job, you're telling God that he's not running things right. And yet, God, basically he's saying you can't be in charge of the universe if you don't know what you're doing. And we have a hard time with that because we have all sorts of people in charge in our country who don't know what they're doing, who are unjust and unfair. But, but in Job's day, they had a basic concept that if you're ruling, you're just, you're righteous. And he's basically saying this, look, will one who hates justice rule? Listen, God loves justice. God is ruling over all things. And you're accusing him of being unfair and unjust. And and you're just condemning the Lord, and you're wrong. Well, who else thinks this? Look at what the Lord says. Uses the exact same word. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Will you make me out to be wrong just so that you can prove that you're right? Now, I know that maybe... You guys can't relate to this as much, but there's all sorts of people who are Christians, who are professing Christians, may not really be Christians, who will seek to make God out to be wrong just so that they can be right. Hey, here's how I want the world to be run. And because I want the world to run this way, I'm going to come back to the Bible and I'm going to show where Paul is wrong, the Apostle Paul, or where... Uh, Peter is wrong, and, and it's the idea that, hey, I'm willing to show that God is wrong just so that I can be right. I mean, that just happens, and it happens to us when we lose our focus. It can happen to us when a parent or a child or someone we really love dies, and we can try to correct or blame or condemn or change God's justice about heaven and hell. Why? Because we want our loved one to be there. 
And so we begin to go back to Scripture and we begin to change what God has said so that we can be right, we can have life the way we want it. We all do that. We're all tempted to do that. This is what Job was doing. Elihu says it. The Lord says it. What does Job say? Look at what Job himself says. In, uh, both in Job 40 and Job 42, here's what he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to? I lay my hand on my mouth. I'm not condemning you anymore. But look at the next verse, 42, chapter 42, verse 6. Then Job answered the Lord and says, Therefore I retract. That's a great word. I retract. I, I just take it all back. You know, everything I said about you being wrong or about you being unjust or about this being unfair, I, I, now that I've seen you, I take it all back. I retract. Job admits that he had lost focus. Well, condemning the Lord, when we condemn the Lord or accuse Him of being wrong, we're just showing our ignorance, right? We're just showing our ignorance. And when we criticize the Lord and His ruling over our lives, we're simply speaking words without knowledge. And that's the third, the third way that you know you've lost focus. We begin complaining about the Lord. We begin complaining about Him. And when we complain about Him, we speak words without knowledge. In other words, we say a whole lot of stuff that's really just untrue. We go way beyond. Well, this, you know, in, in fact, any time that we start saying, well, you know what? This is what God really ought to do, which we do in our prayer a lot, okay? This is what God really ought to do. Or we start saying things like, well, if I were God, or this ought to be, that's the kind of thing. We're just speaking words without knowledge. Job's done a lot of this. He claimed that his three friends we're blowing hot air, right? Remember how they kept saying that? You're blowing hot air. And they kept saying, no, Job, you're blowing hot air. Well, here's what Elihu says. There, there has been a lot of hot air, but it's been from both of you guys, all of you guys. You're all speaking words without knowledge. Look at what Elihu says. Who says Job has lost his fo- focus by complaining? Um, well, here's what Elihu says in chapter 34, and then he says it again in 35. Job speaks without knowledge. And his words are without wisdom. So Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies words without knowledge. Job, you just don't know what you're doing. Stop running your mouth. My dad, you say, Chris, you have diarrhea of the mouth. Communicated. Here's what the Lord says. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Exact same word. Exact same phrase. Listen, Elihu's got it right because the Lord repeats it. But Job himself, look at Job, both in the first time the Lord confronts him and his response the second time is the same. Look at what Job himself says. Once I have spoken and I will not answer, even twice and I will add nothing more. I'm done. I have spoken words without knowledge and I'm not speaking anymore. And then he responds in chapter 42, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Lord, you've asked, who is this that hides? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's me. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I thought I understood how you ran the universe. I thought I knew how you deal with people of integrity. I thought I knew how suffering was supposed to go. 
And the reality is, I don't have a clue now that I've regained my focus. you got to remember, why is Job complaining? He's sitting on the ash heap of despair because of undeserved suffering. That's why he's so confused. He's complaining because his friends say he's wrong when he knows he's right, and he is right. He, he has been a man of integrity. He's suffering. They say he's suffering because of some sin when, in fact, he's blameless. He's complaining because God won't come down and explain why he's suffering and why it seems his friend in heaven has become his enemy on earth. And so Job does what we do when bad things happen to good people. Number four, we begin to be claiming to be more right than God is. We begin claiming to be more right than the Lord. Listen. This is, in the end, this is what Job's doing. He's claiming to be more right than the Lord. Now, when we're all sitting here filling out our notes, sitting here in new life class, your first reaction is, well, now, Job's, you know, Job's wrong in doing that, but I would never do that. I would never, I would never think I'm more right than God. And you know that's the right answer to say, right? If I asked you, are you more right than God? What would you all say? No, of course not. And yet, listen to yourself when things aren't going the way they should. Listen to yourself when others are unfairly criticizing you. Listen to yourself when one thing after another happens in a negative fashion that you think you don't deserve. And if you are like me, you will hear yourself saying, Look, God, I think I know a little better than you do how this ought to be going. And again, our prayers can very much become that way where we're kind of instructing God. And that's why going through the Psalms, praying through the Psalms is so important because you learn to pray in a way that's more about God's glory than about your good. So anyway, claiming to be more right. This is the essence of Job's challenge in chapter 31. He says, look, if I'm guilty of sin, then come down here and curse me. If not, then come down here and release me anyway. Come down here because I'm right and you're wrong. Now, who says Job has lost his focus by claiming to be more right than the Lord? Well, Elihu, do you think this is according to justice? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? And then the Lord says it when he confronts Job. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be righteous? Same Hebrew word. The the English will translate the word slightly different in different translations. Same word. Same point. And then Job himself. Not only does Job retract his words, but he repents in dust and ashes. He says, look, I said I was more right, when in fact now I see that I was wrong. And you were right all along. Now, ultimately, when we are contending with the Lord, condemning the Lord... Uh, criticizing and claiming to be more right, it comes down to number five. We begin considering ourselves wiser than our Creator. We begin considering ourselves wiser. All this is rooted in who's the wise one and who's the foolish one. Basically, Job is saying this. I'm wise enough to know how this ought to be going, and I'm wise enough to advise you, God, on how this ought to be going. The three friends said, we don't need to consult with God. We know what God thinks, and we're going to tell you. 
And Elihu is the only one, humanly, who comes to Job with God-given wisdom. You say, how do you know that? I know that because the very thing that he says, the Lord says when he shows up. That's a good thing, by the way. It's great when you give counsel to people, and then when God speaks to them, he says the same thing you say. That's a good sign that you're on the right track. Right? Right? All right, so... Who says Job has lost his focus by considering himself to be wiser? Well, Elihu does. Listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. And then he begins to ask him questions. Not not a lot, but in his last speech in chapter 37, he says, Do you know how God establishes them, the wonders of God, and makes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds? Have you seen the wonderful clouds we've had? In our area this last week, some beautiful clouds. And you just look at those and you, and, and you just go, that's just amazing. I could never do that. God does that blindfolded with one hand tied behind his back. Okay? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look at, these, look at these clouds. Look at the wonders of one the wonders of one who is perfect, complete, and blameless in knowledge. Can you with him spread out the skies? Well, that's what Elihu ends with, and that's exactly where the Lord picks up. Because in the very next chapter, the Lord speaks to him, and notice what the Lord says in chapter 38, verse 3. Now gird up your loins like a man. Just like Elihu said, stand up. I will ask you, and you instruct me. You've been great on asking me questions. Now, let me ask you a few questions. And then off goes the Lord. Then the Lord, and then then we see in chapter 40, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Remember, Elihu was talking about the clouds. Now, out of those very clouds, the Lord speaks and says, now gird up your loins like a man. In other words, okay, okay, Job, you asked for this now. Now, put your big boy pants on because we're going to go toe to toe. I will ask you, and you instruct me. And then he goes, where were you? And off he goes with more than 70 questions. In other words, Job, you're so wise. Let me ask you some basics. Now, who else says that Job lost his focus? Job himself. Look at, the, look at uh, his response in chapter 42, verses 3 through 6. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Okay. I'm not wise anymore. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You said, hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you and instruct me. Well, guess what? I heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Now, I'm not going to explain to you all of what that means. We'll we'll get to that. But I want you to see Job saying, I thought I knew, and now I admit I don't. I thought I was wise enough to tell you what ought to be happening in my life, and now I realize having regained my focus. So let's stop and think about what we just learned. We went through those five things. First of all, I want you to see, here's the big idea. When fellow believers lose their focus in the midst of suffering, they need someone to intervene with God-given wisdom. Do you hear me? They need someone to risk intervention with God-given wisdom. It's risky, but it can be rewarding because it can lead to repentance, and it did in the life of Job. And we should thank God for Elihu, and you should thank God for the Elihus and the Elihu Yetts. I don't know how you say that feminine, but they're out there. So let me give you a couple insights from this. First of all, when you intervene 
for someone who's lost focus in their suffering. Seek to focus them on God-given wisdom, not just human experience, learning, and reasoning. In other words, don't draw from your resources. Draw from God's resources. He had all sorts of friends around him giving him human insight. You don't need human insight. You need God-given perspective. You need God-given wisdom. And how do you know you're getting God-given wisdom when what people say agrees with what God says in His Word? It's real simple. You say, well, why do I need anybody talking to me? I can just read it in my Word. Because you've lost focus, that's why. Because you're not reading your Word anymore, probably, because the suffering has become. Or what you're reading in the Word is also distorted. Remember we said you get distorted thinking? And so you're not seeing God clearly, you're not seeing His Word clearly, and what you need is someone with flesh and blood and some love with skin on it to come and tell you what God's Word says. So how do you know you are giving God-given wisdom when what you say comes out of this? Not your experience, not your learning, not your degrees, not not what what your mama told you or your daddy told you, but what God has said. And that's what Elihu did. Now, I wanted you to see this because Elihu's focus is almost exactly the same as God's. And I gave you the proof of that. Whatever faults or weaknesses Elihu may have had, he's human like us and he has a sin. See, people want to pick on him and show all his faults. Well, guess what? You've got him and I've got him. So whoever speaks God's wisdom to you will not be a perfect individual. Can I hear an amen? They will not say everything correctly. Can I hear? That's true. They will not always be, you know, as kind and compassionate as they ought to be. That's not the greatest factor on whether you listen to them. The the greatest factor is, is what they are saying truth. And is that truth pointing you, as we're going to see in two weeks, is that truth pointing you away from their humanness to God's divineness? You see what I'm saying? In other words, Elihu is saying, look, don't look at me. Don't listen to me. It's not about me. It's about God. Look at God. Look at God. His counsel is the same as that is found at the end of Job 28. Listen. Compare Job 28 with Job 37. I think this is an amazing insight. In Job 28, there's this break in the book of Job where they discuss wisdom, where Job discusses wisdom. And he goes down through Job 28 and says, where can wisdom be found? It can't be found on earth. It can't be found with human effort. It can't be found in human education. And then he comes down to one verse, Job 28, 28, and he says this, and to man God has said, behold, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, I do not think it's accident that after four lengthy speeches, you come to 37, look at chapter 37, verse 24, and the last words of a human being in this book regarding Job's predicament, the last words is verse 24, And here's what he says. Well, let's read 23 and 24. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is exalted in power. 
and he will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. God is up there. None of us are his equal. He will not obstruct or destroy justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, what? Men fear him. And he does not regard anyone who are wise of heart. Anybody that thinks they're wiser than him, he doesn't listen to them. So humble yourself before God. Fear God. I don't think that's accident that this is, this is Elihu's advice. Well, there's more we could say there. I guess I just want to say this. We're never going to fully understand another person, person's suffering, right? But we should humbly listen to them. Elihu did that respectfully speak to them, Elihu did that, and then prepare their heart to hear directly from the one they should fear. That's what we do. That's what Elihu did. Listen, when you don't know what to do, here's what you do. Fear God. And when you know what to do, here's what you do. Fear God. That's just the bottom line. All right, here's the second thing you should do. When you intervene, with someone who's lost focus. Seek to focus them on how they are responding to their suffering rather than on why and when, uh, the why and the when of their suffering. When people suffer, they want to know two questions. Why is this happening and when is it going to end? Are you with me? Why is this happening? When is it? and, and, And listen, the longer it goes, the more you go there. The longer you suffer, the more you say why and when, why and when. And you can talk to someone in their suffering, and you can talk about the Lord, and when you're all done talking, you know what they're going to still go back to? Why and when, why and when, why? Because they've lost focus. And so what Elihu does is he says, Job, it's really not about why you're suffering. It's about how you're responding to it. Job, I want to talk to you about your present attitude, not your past actions. I want to talk to you about how you're sinning in your suffering, not because you are suffering, you are you've suffered because you've sinned. Well, here, here's the point for application for us. We can't always control when suffering comes. We can't control how long it'll stay, but what can we control? How we respond. We can't control when undeserved suffering, we can't stop that. And we can't control and make it go away with, you know, quick repentance. This isn't the prosperity gospel. But what we can control, what we can do is stay within our circle of responsibility. Are you with me? See, once you say, why is this happening? You've gotten into God's circle of responsibility. It's up here. And you can't ever get to it. And you can't make him come down and explain it. That's not your circle of responsibility. Why? Once you've determined it's not your sin, are you with me? We're talking about undeserved suffering. Another circle of responsibility is how people are misunderstanding your suffering. I can't control what other people think, what I'm going through. They can blame me. They can say I'm going through this because I'm a filthy, rotten sinner, but I have a clear conscience. I know I'm right. I can't control how other people respond. What I can control and what is my circle of responsibility is, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to regain my focus? And that's the third point. Seek to focus them on who God is in the midst of their suffering. Seek to focus them on who God is. 
Elihu's focus is on who God is in their suffering. And when we look at his four speeches, we're going to look at it all in one lesson, we're going to see that all four speeches are about the character of God. God's character is the central focus. And it and listen, and just like God himself, it's going to be the only answer God gives. The only answer that God will ultimately give Job is, I am awesome. I am awesome, and you're not, but I love you, okay? I'm God, you're not, and you ought to be just amazed that we're having this conversation. Are you with me? And that's what Elihu did. Listen, the best counsel you can ever get is someone that will point you and prepare you to hear directly from God. And I'm not talking about voices and signs in the sky. You know, I read and see people say, you know, I'm looking for a sign, and then the next thing that happens, you know. I'm like, well, how do you know the devil didn't do that? How do you know that? The only way you know is by reading this book. You encounter God through His Word, His Spirit. Well, we'll study more about this, but I, I ran across this quote, and I thought it was pretty cool. We're talking about maintaining focus. Maintaining focus is not a matter of never losing focus, but a matter of shortening periods of time in which you lose focus. That's great. Isn't that good? We're all going to lose focus. Job lost his focus. The question is, stay, is regaining, shortening the time that you return to your focus. And the beauty of what you've seen from, from today's lesson is this. Job, once he was confronted that he, he had lost focus, he admitted it and he refocused. He refocused. He repented. Ultimately, undeserved suffering is not about us or others or even the adversary. I think it's interesting. Elihu doesn't bring Satan into the conversation directly. God doesn't bring... Satan into the conversation directly. Ultimately, it's not about us. It's not about what others think. It's not even about what the devil's doing. Or And devil was at work. The devil was at work. But that's not the issue. It's about God and God alone. The best answer to why is always who. Can we say that and then we'll end? The best answer... Let's say it together. The best answer to why is always who. Who is God? And am I ready to hear from him? Isn't that good? Have you lost focus this morning? Have you, have you begun to criticize, complain, maybe even say you're a little wiser than God is in this situation? Well, come humbly before him and fear him and turn from false thinking, turn from your own wisdom, turn from the wisdom of this world and get into the book. Here's a great way to do it. Get into the book. Get into God's wisdom. The Psalms are wisdom literature. And then help other people with the same focus. Let's pray. Father, we come. And uh, wow, there's just great things to learn from studying Job. And it takes time and it takes effort. And you kind of got to grind it out. But it's rewarding and it's rich. Lord, I pray we all lose focus. We all get puffed up. We all get distorted in our thinking. Lord, help us to see where we're at 
where we've lost that focus. Some of us, it's just a little adjustment today. Some of us, we're way out of focus maybe, and we need some major adjustment, but it doesn't matter. You give grace for both. And in the end, it doesn't matter how much you're out of focus. It's the fact that we're out of focus. And you're able to bring people to intervene. Lord, prepare my heart to hear from people, your people that you send into my life. Prepare my heart to hear from you and prepare all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.